Greetings and Shabbat Shalom's to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and welcome here today. What a blessing to have you join us here online and here locally. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Remember, subscribe to our channel. It really does help and it spreads the word, spreads the message. So subscribe. And again, if you want to get notifications, just click on that bell and you'll get notifications when we go live. We have opened up the comment section so that you can have some interaction. So keep that holy, please, and make good connections. Remember, we do have the Feast of Tabernacles that is coming up here in the next few weeks. So you can register for that online. Visit us at Torah to the Tribes. Dot com. And lastly, but most importantly, to thank all of you out there that support this ministry. Without you, none of this would be possible. So again, thank you. Continue to support us and we praise Yah for all of you out there that have committed to follow the teachings, follow the instructions. And today, I want to equip us more with some of those sticky points, some of those hurdles that we encounter when we try and communicate our faith to those in the nations, maybe in Christendom. Um, and they're like, what are you talking about? So today's teaching is entitled, it's a topical teaching, and it's entitled The Priestly Principles. The Priestly Principles. And... Um, I know none of this has happened to any of you, none of you out there. This only happens in my life. But how many times have you really began to share your faith and what you believe? And you start to talk to somebody and you start to talk to them about how you keep the feasts, how you keep Shabbat, and all of a sudden their eyes kind of go glazed over, maybe a little bit crossed. And... Uh, they somewhat start to edge away from you and try and find another place in the kitchen to stand where you aren't. Or has that just happened to me? Just me, right? 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 So what? what how, I mean, do you get that? And you're, you're trying to talk and they're, they're, and they're like, what's, what's, what is he saying? Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat. And what's all this? Yahushua, Yash. What, what, what are you talking? Did you go all Jewish on me? How many times have you seen that? And you try, no, 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 you try to explain the faith. And at that point, they're just like, okay, I've got to go talk to somebody else. This is not making any sense to me. So I want to talk today about overcoming that kind of stumbling block, that kind of hurdle, to help equip you when you do encounter those sticky moments. Because I think the biggest stumbling block that we all encounter is that people haven't apprehended a specific qualifying phrase that is overlooked, undervalued in the New Testament. One of the most important classifications for believers. And Paul brings it to our attention in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, you need to apprehend you are the Israel 
of Elohim. That is the classification of believers in their found faith of Yahushua. Well, what are you? Well, I'm the Israel of Elohim. Well, what kind of faith do you belong to? Well, we're the Israel of Elohim. Well, where did you get? Well, this is a New Testament phrase that comes from all of the preceding history of the Bible, from Genesis 1, and it comes all the way forward into the apocalyptic writings in the book of Revelation because there are 12 gates and there's no church gate. The only way you're getting into the kingdom is by being the Israel of Elohim. So today we're going to look at the priestly principles when it comes to communicating our faith the Israel of Elohim. I belong to the children of Abraham as the Israel of Elohim. Because what we must overcome is the false belief that is so prevalent today, and it is a tradition of men. Remember, the traditions of men are what ensnare men, yet it is the word of Yahweh that sets the captives free. We have to overcome the false belief that Yahushua's death changed the laws of Moses. We have to overcome that. When in reality, the truth is, Yahushua's death transferred the priesthood, thereby inaugurating the new book or New Testament of the Covenant. That's the distinction. So really the issue that we have to overcome is the propaganda of the traditions of men that have taken a religious culture captive. Does that make sense? So really, if we were to boil this down and make it as succinct as possible, what I'm hoping, I'm hoping and praying that you can join me in that prayer today is to communicate what the issue is. And succinctly, the issue is the difference in our interpretation and application of one of two things. Number one, changed and done away with, which is biblically unsanctioned Yet, it is traditionally sanctioned in regards to the laws of Moses. Versus, number two, transferred and inaugurated, which is biblically sanctioned, yet traditionally avoided in regards to the laws of Moses. So what we're up against here are two things that are banging against one another. The traditions of men that propagate that the customs and laws of Moses have been changed and done away with against the truth of the word of Yahweh that says Yahushua has actually transferred the priesthood and inaugurated a new book of the covenant, a new covenant. That's what we're up against. Propaganda versus biblical truth. Propaganda 
is that Yahushua died and rose again so he could change the customs of Moses. Whereas truth is Yahushua died and rose again so he could transfer the priesthood and inaugurate the new book of the covenant, the new covenant. And they are diametrically opposed to one another. The majority, the broad road, have accepted the teachings of men that nullify the commandments of Yah, yet those of us that are trying to apprehend our faith comprehend what Yahushua did, transfer and inaugurate, which is huge. And this is what we're going to look at today. Our source text, of course, is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. And this is a stumbling block to many. This is the verse that caused me to exit Calvary Chapel. This verse. Because I was sitting down as an elder in a Bible study with the pastor and a group of elders, and this verse was used to do away with the laws of Moses. And I sheepishly raised my hand and questioned the pastor publicly in front of 11 elders. And I said, excuse me, this is talking about the priesthood, not the laws of Moses. And from that point on, there was a parting of the religious seas. And I was cast out, and everybody else surrounded the wagons around the pastor, and drew the arrows at me. And that is not a story that is uncommon to all of you, okay? When you question tradition. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. Turn with me there. In that he saith a new... It's new! In that he saith a new... He hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Well, there you've got it. It's new. New what? Now, in most of your Bibles, if you have an accurate translation, the words that are after new will at least be italicized, which tells you that whatever is written there is the opinion of, of a translator. It doesn't actually appear in the text. So now you're going to be held captive to the opinion of a translator if you do not question what the Bible, not the Bible, but what the translators have inserted. In that he saith anew. Well, of course, it's a new God in Jesus. Because that Old Testament God was just wrathful and archaic. Is that the correct interpretation? That's a common interpretation. Well, it, no, it, that's not that. It's a New Testament of grace. There's another common interpretation of that. Or in my view, just a plain new invention of man. That would be my view, which is a form of godliness, yet denying its power. Because the reality of how we interpretation, we interpret, excuse me, what comes after new 
sets us up for the rest of our understanding of the Bible. This is a key verse. What is new? It's a new God. Jesus brought in a new God. That old God of the Old Testament was archaic, mean, all of these scripted laws. And now in Jesus and the resurrection, we've got this whole new thing. It's grace. It's about love. It's about my heart. Thank goodness we're not in the desert like they were in Israel. That is the common, common broad way. Oh, well, we've got this New Testament. Thank goodness we don't have to do that Old Testament where there's Moses and all those proscriptive laws. That's another common, common interpretation. So what is new? Our interpretation of this truly affects our application of that. Well, what's that? His word. That's what that is. His word. So it affects our diet. It affects our worship. It affects our interpretation of almost every single Bible verse. Pigs miraculously become clean when in reality the Bible teaches us no such thing. It was Cornelius who, according to Jewish law, was unclean that miraculously now becomes clean because Yahusha's inauguration now goes out to the nations, those Gentiles that were once looked at as unclean are now brought in to the community of faith. But again, our application affects our interpretation. Of course, Sabbath is abrogated for Sunday as we trample down the Ten Commandments. And then here we are, 2,000 years later, wondering why they want to chisel out the Ten Commandments in our cities across the USA. Because we have set the precedent. We wonder why the world is in the state of chaos it is when Passover is abrogated for Easter. And we wonder why Roe versus Wade took off. Well, what do you expect? We only invoked the spirit of Ashtoreth and Molech into our culture. What else would you expect when you invoke demons? Death, murder, and occult mayhem, which is exactly what happens. Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, is abrogated for Christmas. And we wonder why so many are lukewarm and that they don't connect with the Scriptures. How can you connect with Christmas in the Scriptures when Christmas isn't in the Scriptures? So our culture doesn't connect with something that they see isn't there. And it may have worked on preceding generations when they didn't have access to the information that we have today, but it doesn't work with the new young generation that question everything. So we have to change all that to say this. How do we guard Yahweh's word and rightly divide it? Do we interpret it as priests or do we interpret it as pew-bound religionists? Now, most will mock me at this point and say, well, what are you going on about? Now that we have faith in Messiah... We should be free from the law, surely. What are you talking about? 
We've got the new book. We don't need the Jew book. Have you ever heard that? These are common things that people say. Or, have you gone all Jewish on us? No. Galatians 6.16. I am the Israel of Elohim. The people promised from the beginning that would apprehend the very promises that Yahushua inaugurated. What a powerful faith we have. But we have to learn to communicate it honestly, without being defensive, and to try and help people overcome the obstacles and hurdles that have been set there before them by the traditions of men. Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Well, what the Henry does that mean? Right? What, what does that mean? You can't establish law unless it's covenant. That's what it means. You cannot establish law unless it's covenant. That's what it means. You see, Torah, which is Yahuwah's teaching and instruction, it's the principles of Yahuwah that become the principles in your life so that you can overcome the principalities that are trying to overshadow you. That's what it really is. It's called freedom. Freedom to the faith. Not freedom to lawlessness, and not freedom that I can now do anything I want because I've got this ticket to heaven. We come across this Greek word nomos that's translated into the word law, and too many people don't stop to realize that there are 14 different categories of law in the New Testament that Paul classifies, and they're all, all translated from one broad, overarching Greek word nomos. But we could be talking about civil Roman law. We could be talking about the law of sin and death. We could be talking about the law of faith. We could be talking about the book of the law. We could be talking about Jewish law. We could be talking about any kind of law spectrum. We could even be talking about the Torah, the law of Moses. But to lump that one word into the law of Moses is a decimating, it has a decimating effect on the rest of the Bible which is what has happened, which we are now trying to communicate to others to say, hang on, let's weigh this. Let's not rush headlong into destruction. Meaning, apprehend the words of the Apostle Paul. Because Paul, we understand, he was amazing in his time at communicating what we're now apprehending. He was instrumental in explaining that there's a distinction between the book of the law, which is mentioned in Galatians 3, and the book of the covenant. All this came to light after his Damascus Road experience. But it was so profound, it was so impacting, that it actually impacted the apostles and the former disciples of Yahushua that were already following Yahushua. Because Paul was kind of late to the scene. He was late on the scene. Look what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 about what Paul is now able to communicate. Our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, he hath written unto you. 
and also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable do rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So if we don't understand Paul's words and we approach the book of Hebrews, for instance, specifically chapter 8, verse 13, we can rest that whole scripture and we can say, well, this is about doing away the law of Moses. This is about doing away this, when in reality, it's about something so much grander than that. This is what we have to understand. But here's the problem. And we find it everywhere. Not only amongst believers, but in the secular world that you and I tread. We'll only receive as much truth as we're willing to obey. The commandments of Yahuwah are yield and stop signs in our lives. They guide us. They're there to support us. They are not against us. They are for us. How we approach them affects how powerful they are in our lives. Do I keep the commandments personally because of my sheer gusto, zeal, and brute discipline? No. The purpose of the Torah is to create change. The presence of wisdom is what creates the change. That's the words of Solomon to you and I today. And I have found that I'm not really keeping Torah. Torah is keeping me. And there is the power. When I can lay down my white knuckling it, and realize just by living it, Torah keeps me. A yield and stop sign that prevents that world coming onto me as I interact with it. Matthew chapter 15 verse 7 tells us what we're up against in religion today. Ye hypocrites. Well did the prophet Isaiah prophesy unto you, saying, This poor people, they try and come close to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart it is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. This is the majority of religion today. You can't tell me, but these big mega churches are pressing into the discipled life. That's not what they're doing. That's not how they're getting their word across. Because it's not the word, it's their word across. We have to be founded in truth. But as Pilate said, well, what is truth? Truth is a person. The resurrected Yahusha. Truth is a person. The scriptures define what truth is. Psalm 119 is most probably the most compact definition of truth in the Bible for us. Specifically, Psalm 119, verse 142, verse 151, verse 160. Your Torah is truth. 
if we abrogate truth, then we will be deceived by the great lies that are out there today. We need more Torah, not the religiosity application of it, but the empowering reality of the yield and stop signs in our life because as more lies come into the world, you need more foundation of Yahweh's Torah so that you can decipher and discern. Does that make sense? John chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son, he hath everlasting life. And he that disobeys the Son shall not see life. So this isn't just about mental assent. It's about obedience that's connected to everlasting life. He that disobeys the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of Elohim abideth on him. Believe not here in this text is the Greek word apatheo, kind of like apathetic, like lukewarm. To refuse obedience makes you lukewarm. And we know what happens to the lukewarm, right? So a biblical reality of faith and the commandments working together impacts life where? That's what you and I need to apprehend. When we're walking with Yahusha and applying the rightly in our life, First Peter, um, First Timothy, we see, Second Timothy, excuse me, rightly dividing the word of truth. When we apply it to our life, things happen. Your conversations, they begin to schedule your next seasons. How you speak. Whatever you begin to speak into somebody's life, that begins to impact them in a powerful way. Because when you speak, whatever you speak out, it will actually come back to you. Whatever you hear, you will repeat. So you have to be guarded with what you put in your ears. And whatever you write down, maybe your hopes, maybe your dreams, they will come to pass when applied with prayer. So there is an action in writing down your hopes, writing down your dreams, writing down and praying these things through. Because faith is not abstract. It has to be attached to something. And what is it attached to? The principal thing. The commandments of Yahweh, his principles. Faith has to be attached to the commandments of Yahweh. Otherwise, it's not faith at all. It's a hope and a dream, but it's not a faith at all. The law of faith is this. Faith has to be attached to the commandments of Yahweh to bear forth the multiplicity of harvest. So I have a question for you question for you out there online. Did Yahushua's death and resurrection change the laws and customs of Moses so that you and I don't have to obey them anymore? Did they? Well, most would pause and say, what did you just say? I repeat, did Yahushua's death and resurrection change the laws and customs of Moses so that you and I don't have to obey them anymore? 
most people would run headlong and answer, well, yes, of course something changed. But our answer is found in Acts chapter 6, specifically verse 14. Let's turn there together, Acts 6 verse 14, the answer to that question. Then they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against Elohim. And they stirred up the people, and they stirred up the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Now take note. And they set up false witnesses, and this is what false witnesses say. This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the Torah. For we have heard him say that this Yahushua of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses has delivered to us. There's the answer to your question. So the Bible very clearly tells us here that it's false witnesses who say that the Messiah's death and resurrection changed customs and law of Moses. That's the testimony of false witnesses. That's not supposed to be the testimony of the Israel of Elohim. So, again, we have to watch what we're listening to. Because if you listen to that for 30 years in a pew... Are you going to walk it out? Yes. And you then, by default, have walked into the camp unwittingly, but still false witness. Here's the self-litmus test. I love to do a self-litmus test all the time. What commandments, listen, what commandments do you keep that the moral heathen doesn't? Well, I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. Hey, I know plenty, all right, not plenty. I know a few moral heathen that do none of those things. So what is it that we do that is distinctly different than the moral heathen? Because we know many moral heathens that keep all of the moral code. Not lying, not cheating, not stealing, not committing adultery. So... Surely, if we're followers of the resurrected Messiah, there has to be some distinct classifications that no other heathen religion, no unbeliever, nobody else would do. Being led by the Spirit, keeping the Sabbaths, the feasts, the festivals, having control over our appetites, restrictions upon us because we are not like brute beasts which means you restrict yourself in diet, you restrict yourself in your sexual appetite, you restrict yourself in worship, you restrict yourself in things that you bring into your house, like graven images, you restrict yourself and you dedicate yourself to the one true Elohim that is distinct because there's only one true Elohim that delivered a people out of Egypt, through the parting of the oceans, and gave them the commandments of the book of the covenant at the mountain. 
That is the classification of the one true living Elohim. Does that make sense? Because it makes a bunch of sense to me. But I've apprehended it. But it has taken me questioning, like Isaiah said, the traditions and commandments of men. But I'm not under the law, many of you would say. Well, not you, but maybe the people that you're communicating to. I'm not under the law. Well, stay where you are then. Because if you have a hardness of heart and refuse instruction, then you actually lose access and you schedule your next season. And that next season is called spiritual dryness. So it does affect your life and your faith. And James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 11, don't be so hasty to judge the law. Do not be hasty to judge the law. John chapter 14, verse 15, it talks about commandments, and it's plural. If you love me, Yahushua said, keep my commandments. Well, what commandments? The commandments from the mountain. Because I am my Father, we're not separate. We're one. What commandments? It has to be the commandments that qualify the Elohim, the yod Hey, wah Hey, Yahuwah. It must be the Torah commandments, but specifically the book of the covenant, Exodus chapter 19, that we're supposed to be keeping. Because he only gave one commandment that wasn't new. It was just new to them because they weren't doing it. Love one another. It wasn't like a new commandment, but it was new to them because they had been so infiltrated by the religion and tradition of men. John chapter 7, verse 16, it is written, Yahushua answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but the his that sent me. So this again is a great verse for a litmus test of what we're doing in our life. And it's a great verse to open up a conversation with your fellow believers that maybe have accepted the traditions and commandments of men that you are trying to help them see the light. And you've got to do it gently, with love, and merciful, because you know what? He has been merciful and gentle with us. So this is the balance. Because the key phrase in John chapter 7, verse 16, turn there if you will, Yahushua answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but him that sent me. So, if there's some new doctrine that came after the resurrection of Yahushua, what does it have to be grounded in? It has to be grounded in him that sent Yahushua, which is the Father, right? So any doctrine that you're talking about living, it has to be connected back to the mountain. If it's a doctrine that removes you from Yahweh the Father and the commandments of the mountain, it's got to be a false doctrine. Are you following with me? Let's look at this. It's a new doctrine. Well, new in scope, right? Because a day is as a thousand years. Yahushua rose over 2,000 years ago. Anyway, this new doctrine that says, well, we don't follow the Old Testament law stuff. 
and uh, we can keep the customs of the heathens. And, you know, it's okay. We've got a thin veneer of Christ and uh, everything's good. That's a new doctrine, isn't it? That's a common doctrine. But these are not doctrines from him who sent Messiah, are they? Are they? They're doctrines of men. This verse informs us this doctrine can't be a New Testament thing. Any doctrine had to exist with Abraham and it had to exist with Moses because it came from Yahuwah who sent his one and only son. That's how you establish whether a doctrine is false or true. It has to go back to Yahuwah at the mountain, which is why the transference of priesthood and inauguration that is connected back to Yahuwah who sent his son from the mountain is the true doctrine that we need to be apprehending in this Melchizedek reality. Pause on that while I take a sip from our sponsor. It's not really our sponsor, but it should be. But they most probably wouldn't sponsor me. So, just to continue with this thought on John 7:16, any other doctrine, including one with a can of spam and a side of ham, and a stocking over the hearth, and big balls, and tinsel. It can't be sound doctrine because it doesn't come from him that sent me, does it? Right? John 8.38, I speak that which I have seen with my father. But these false doctrines, they come from Mark 7 verse 7, how bait in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And that's what we're up against today. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear, it is not mine, but the Father's which sent me establishes doctrine. So we can't just experience Yahushua, we have to follow him. Because many people experience and experiment with Yahushua, but that doesn't mean that you're a disciple of Yahushua. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 38. Because I come across many people that experience the fragrance of Messiah, but they're not actually followers of his ways. And then when I start to share my faith, they're like, (laughs) you know, and start edging away to another part of the kitchen. Because we all congregate in the kitchen, don't we? Well, what's up with that? That's where all the food is. That's why. Mark 9, 38. And John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him because he followeth not us. So you can do things in Jesus' name and not be a disciple, not be a follower of the Master's way. That's what that Bible verse is telling us, which should be very sobering indeed. So why 
are we talking about this now in the 21st century when all of this going is going on because malachi tells us in chapter 4 verse 4 that we're in the days of elijah when the hearts of the children are going to be turned back to the fathers and we're going to apprehend the teaching and instruction of moses this is why and this is an amazing time to live in but you've got to connect with what the Spirit is doing. It's doing a Malachi 4 work in the lives of believers. And if you don't participate in that work, you're going to be spiritually barren and dry. And there's the problem. Because the church is becoming more and more barren and dry because they're not apprehending what's being communicated here today. In fact, we're cursed if we willfully disobey Torah. And we're also just as cursed if we try and keep the book of the law under the Levitical hierarchy. Because if you fail at one point, you find yourself cursed. But apprehending what came from the mountain, he who sent me that doctrine, that's what Yahusha said, the doctrine of transference and inauguration, a transference of priesthood, and an inauguration of the new book of the covenant. That's the true faith. That's how we started today's whole teaching, Hebrews 8, verse 13. And that verse was my exit strategy from the Calvary Chapel. It wasn't actually a strategy. It just kind of happened. I didn't plan it. Another key verse is Hebrews 7.12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity, a change also of the law. So you can't have a change of the law without it being directly connected to priesthood. Meaning you can't just do away with the law and then go and live this New Testament of grace. Because any change to the law has to be connected with what? A priesthood change. They're part and packaged together. Hebrews 7.12 really clearly tells us that truth. Galatians 3 verse 19. Cursed, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So this is somebody that's trying to apprehend the law without acknowledging the change of priesthood, you're still going to get cursed, which is the downfall of the messianic movement. They want the law, but they still want to keep the Levitical minutia. And they also want you to get into Judaism. You're going to get cursed. But on the other side of the aisle, if you just do away with the law, unconnected to any priesthood, it's the same thing. Because they're part and pass and packaged together hebrews 10 verse 26 look at your translation some of the translations are disingenuous when we come to hebrews 10 verse 26 check your translation for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of truth so if i accept the messiah in my life, and I become born again, I get my heart circumcised, and then I willfully go out and sin, deliberately, high-handedly, what happens? 
some serious consequences. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Verse 28 is where your disingenuous translations change it into past tense because then you're safe, but it's not true. Verse 28, he that despised Moses' law dies. It's ongoing. It's not like, oh, died back in the old day. If your translation says died, you've got a problem. It's disingenuous. It dies. It's ongoing. It's still applicable today. Without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the son of Elohim and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he has sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. Meaning, if you've accepted Yahushua, you become born again and go on sinning willfully, high-handedly, you then trample the blood of your Savior underfoot and you come under this condemnation clause. Because it says what? He that despised Moses' law dies. Because you are following the doctrine of demons, not the doctrine of the Father who sent the Son that sets him up as the priest high priest officiating and inaugurating over what? The blood of the covenant. It's all encompassing. And it's super important that we apprehend it and comprehend it. So, believing is doing, isn't it? My belief should produce an action. John chapter 5 verse 45 do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that is accusing you, Moses, in whom you trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. If ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Again, part and parcel. You can't say you believe the words of the Messiah when you reject the words of Moses because Moses, Moshe, testifies to the Messiah and that's what the priesthood of Melchizedek is all about. Why resist Moshe? Why resist? Second Timothy 3 verse 7, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, you become a magician, just like Johns and Jambres, they withstood Moshe. So do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobates concerning the faith. You see, when you reject the teachings of Moshe, it moves you into alchemy, magic. Because religion divorced from Yahuwah is magic. Babylonian soothsaying, Roman mysticism, that's what this world is propagating. Magic, a death cult. You have to be connected to Yahuwah. You have to be connected to the mountain 
and the communication of that truth, Moshe, then the inauguration of the priesthood through Yahushua and the new covenant. And you find you are delivered from the mystery religions of the world and the traditions of men. Well, what will our destiny be, you say? What will our destiny be? Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, O good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Don't we all want to have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is Elohim. Because my doctrine isn't mine own, it comes from the Father who sent me. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments, because there's where the true doctrine is. Well, I want to know Yahushua in a deep way, you say. Well, let's look what that means. Because it's not just some abstract thing. I want to know the Messiah in a deep way. Well, let's look. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Master, Master, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Can you see how Yahushua's doctrine always refers back to the mountain and the Father? Always. Because that's what keeps us safe from all the false doctrine out there. So it's very simple when you want to test the faith. If it doesn't connect back to the Father at the mountain, it's a false doctrine. Greasy grace, lawlessness, Christmas, Easter, ham and eggs. It does not connect back to the Father at the mountain. You will never see it back there. It has to be a doctrine of men. That's not for me to condemn people because that's not my place. But if I can help one be set free from the traditions of men, praise be. I want them to be dynamic in their faith because a dynamic faith means that you're going to be able to apprehend blessings and you're going to be able to reach people and deliver them too. That's the message that we want to see. Because many will say to me in that day, Master, Master, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work lawlessness. A nomia without Torah. This is very, very intense. Because without Torah, you are following false doctrine. The Torah is the book of the covenant, Exodus 19 to 24, that was inaugurated at the mountain, then transferred and brought into the new covenant reality by the Malkitzedic high priest. That's the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews, for you and I to understand that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Only, but also for the sins of the world. And hereby we do know that we know him. This is talking yada, the Hebrew word for intimate knowledge. If we keep his commandments, that's the qualifier of how we intimately know him. He that saith, well, yeah, I know him. That's a different kind of knowing. That's da'at. That's an experimental knowledge, like from the tree of knowledge, the, the tree of what? I'm drawing blank. Knowledge of good and evil, right? It's experimental knowledge. 
if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I knoweth him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Very sobering. So, the question that I often pose is, did Yahushua die so we could, by grace, live a life of security with no worry of the penalty and consequence of sin? Well, I, I don't know. I, I think so. I, I think that's what I was taught. Weren't you? Kind of sounds good. Yeah, Yahushua died so, by grace, I could live a life of security. I don't have to worry anymore about the penalty of sin and the consequences of sin. Many would sign on to that and say, yes, that's what's taught from my pulpit. No. Because look what 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. If we're transgressing the commandments of Yahweh, we're in sin. If you get rid of the law of Moses, you're saying that sin got abrogated. Well, that's insanity. And there's the problem of our society today. Nobody knows what sin is anymore. Not even believers. You've got believers doing all kinds of things. Living together before marriage. Because it's acceptable in the church. It's not acceptable by the word of Yahuwah. Heaven forbid. It's sin. It's called fornication. People are watching, looking, and listening to things that they shouldn't be doing because they have not had sin defined for them. Because they've done away with the law. This is the problem with the culture that we live in today. Who promotes the working of lawlessness? Satan. It's all the same Greek word for lawlessness. A nomia, without Torah. It's the spirit of anti-Messiah that is permeating our culture. It's time for us not to just experience Yahushua, but to abide in him. Because as it gets darker out there, it's our abiding that it will give us nourishment and hope. Because I, 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 literally, I literally run home because I want to be with my family, be in the word and abide. Because I know that that's our place where we abide with the master, we abide with Yahweh. But out there in the world, it's just full of hopelessness. And that's why I want to connect with other believers because we can abide together in Him. Where two or more are gathered, there so am I. That's why the fellowship of like-minded believers is so important. Because we want to abide. We don't want to just experience. John chapter 3, verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments abideth in him, and he in him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. His commandments, they aren't some heavy burden. They're light and easy. Matthew chapter 5 is all about Yahushua teaching kingdom principles. 
And those kingdom principles are personified in Yahushua, but his doctrine isn't his own. His doctrine is always connected back to the Father, and that's our litmus test. Proverbs chapter 4 says thus, Wisdom, it's the commandment thing. It's the principle thing. The commandments and principles of Yahuwah. They're priestly things. They're principle things. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So the question that we ask ourselves is, well, how much do I hunger? As much as you hunger, that's how much you'll be filled. As much as you thirst, that's how much you'll be filled. If you're not thirsty and you don't care, and you think, well, I can get filled and I'm not thirsty with a 20-minute sermon on Sunday. Well, that's how much you'll be filled. That's how much you won't be hungry. But I have a ravishing appetite and I'm thirsty for the things of Yahuwah. Therefore, I get filled to an abundance and so do you. But we have to have that drive for his word. And I'll finish up here. Of course, we all know it. Matthew 5, 17. Think not that I came to destroy the Torah, nor the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fall fulfill, bring to its fullness, its full clarity under his majesty and priesthood. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all of it's fulfilled. The kingdom hasn't come yet. So that means it's all still in place. And whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of those that teach the traditions and the commandments of men, You'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we're up against. We live in a culture that Isaiah prophesied about. When you pass the average church on the street, they are teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. And the problem that you and I are having is that we are teaching the doctrines of the Father and the commandments of the Father and people aren't used to hearing that. It is weird when you start to talk about the Israel of Elohim. It's weird when you start to talk about faith in action connected to commandments. It's weird when you start to communicate what Yahushua cleansed was people, not pigs. Yahuwah says, I change not. And Yahushua says, I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There is only transference and inauguration. But there isn't like a changing, this is done away with, now this is brought in. Inauguration and transference connected to priesthood and law is the true faith that was once delivered to the saints. Religious men, they've never liked the Torah. Not now and not then. 
John 7 verse 19. Did Moshe not give you the Torah? Yet none of you keeps the Torah. Why do you seek to kill me? You see, fear is the absence of instruction. But don't be afraid to step out in your faith and live a dynamically different life before your Creator because these are the days of Elijah to go out and communicate the words of the Master connected to the teaching and instructions of Moses in its full clarity. This is the generation to do it because in a generation when there is more sin, more transgression, and more wickedness, that's the generation that needs to be connected to the priesthood, connected to the commandments, because they're the principal thing that can deliver people out of that death. We are up against a death culture, and the commandments are life, hope, and blessing when they're communicated through the accomplished work of the resurrected Messiah. And he is our Melchizedek, high priest. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. In its fullness, there is a transference of priesthood. And there is an inauguration of the new book of the covenant, which is the doctrine that's connected to the Father. Test your doctrine. Questions, comments, anybody? Okay, we have a question here. Does Matthew believe that the Melchizedek Kingdom message is a revelation for the last days? Specifically, the pouring out of the Spirit in the last days, Acts chapter 2. Yes, I, I do, for sure and for certain. I've lived a life, my first 23 years, of being an absolute heathen, walking hand in hand with the devil. And then my next 10 years of my life in my 20s, I walked as a born-again, on-fire believer, immersed in the traditions and the commandments of men. But I was converted, and I, I still learned a lot of Bible. And then my next 10 years, I went full-on into the Messianic movement, still born again, but now coming into the traditions and commandments of men from a Jewish perspective, and all that Messianic garb, Levitical hierarchy, and I'm like, dying because there's no spirit-filled believers because there's no faith. And then the revelation of the Malkitzedic, which has always been with me. I've always had this desire to understand the book of Hebrews, always had this desire to teach the Malkitzedic. And I always did in baby stages along the way since I was 24. And I've met so many people that have helped me by giving me DVDs or teachings or like we've got our, our great friend Dave Perry and his fabulous book that's a free download on our website that have all helped me come along. But this has given me this understanding that has changed my life, changed my family's life, and it's changed so many people's life because it is this last day anointing of apprehending the promises and covenants of Yahweh, transference and inauguration. So yes, I do. That was a long-winded yes, wasn't it? 
something in the Mexican water. This is a question from the book of Zechariah. Can Matthew explain the verses in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verses 18 to 19? Zechariah. What? Chapter 8, verses 18 to 19. What were those fastings for, and should we fast? Oh, we should definitely fast. Fasting is fabulous. I mean, it's very good for your health. Um, but specifically, chapter 8. Verses 18 and 19. Let's read it. Zechariah 8, verse 18. Then the word of Yahuwah Savot came to me, saying, Thus says Yahuwah Savot, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So this is talking about many of the traditional fasts that were in place within the kingdom of Judah in the time of the prophet Zechariah. And yes, fasting is definitely something that is applicable to your life. Now, these aren't the seven Moedim of Yahuwah, but these were used and implemented and part of the religious culture at the time. And there's nothing good, I mean, excuse me, nothing bad with the traditions. The only problem is when traditions contradict the word of Yahuwah. Babylonian traditions, Roman papal traditions, they all contradict the word of Yahuwah. But fasting is in the Bible. These traditions are just saying, yes, it's good. Another question. I, I, I have a question. Um, the word smithing that is contained within Scripture, would you consider the word ordering to inauguration the same? Say that again. Would you consider ordering and the word inauguration one and the same? Give me the context of ordering. Yeah, well, it was ordered on the mountain. It was started. And then the transference seems like it should be established. Which leads into a priesthood that is for today. I find it interesting that the Malki Zadik message would be established after so many years of it always being ordered through Scripture. Oh, there you go. I like that. It was always ordered through Scripture, but in this day, the days of Elijah, it is now established. Because what we have is a generational action. Because finally, there is enough truth out there that the believers of Yahuwah can apprehend and comprehend it. But in generations prior, the voices of tradition and commandment keeping of men were so loud that people couldn't grasp and inaugurate. It was always ordered, but you have to wait for the inauguration. And that's what we've seen through the whole course of history. Go back to the time of Queen Mary. Go back to the time of uh, Martin Luther. 
what was ordered was always there, a pulling away from the papal system, but it was only partially inaugurated in the days of Martin Luther. He didn't fully pull away from the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church, but it was already ordered, and that ordering still continues until there's a final come out of Babylon, come out of her my people moment, which is then inaugurated, which is still to come, which will be a tribulation event. How close we are to apprehending that? Well, we shall see. When you started out, When you, started, when you started out, you said we really want to communicate this truth to our friends who don't get it. I'm from the church. I have a burden for the church. I have a burden for those who are spirit-filled with every evidence that they are men of, women of God. But when I say, for example, the, El the uh, Israel of Elohim the word Elohim immediately turns them off and they can't hear it. The word God says, okay, now I'm at least listening to you. So in the matter of communication, wouldn't it be better for some of them, by the Spirit's direction, to hear me say the Israel of God rather than the Israel of Elohim? That's the first question. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, we have to understand who our audience is. Yeah. And I know some of you out there are going to be super zealous and so no, it's true name all the time. I'm saying, well, you know, I, I question that. Okay. I mean, if I'm in a public restroom, or if, uh, I'm not going to speak the name of the Creator. Okay. Good. Because I'm in a public restroom. But then maybe some of you do everywhere. Yeah. So there's a time and a place. And likewise, if I'm talking to a homeless person on the street, I want to be able to communicate to them very clearly, very succinctly, in a small time frame. I'm not talking about translation right there. I'm trying to communicate truth, and I need them to hear the gospel message. And the gospel message is contained within the pages of Scripture, regardless of your translation, regardless of whether it's a, a, a yod or an invented J. I want you to continue to do what you're doing because you're setting a standard for all of us. But it's by the Spirit that a person who is in the church says, okay, I can get that. So we need, I think, to remove unnecessary verbiage that will cause them to be unnecessarily turned off so that they can hear what I'm saying. Second question related. One of the reasons why the church people can't accept what we're saying is because they don't see the difference that Christ to them we don't get saved by keeping these commandments we get saved through the person of Christ and what they're hearing right or wrong is no you're saying I get saved by keeping the commandments by doing all of these Jewish things and that's not what we're saying so it seems to me that once again we can remove in a wise time to a certain point certain things that are unnecessarily keeping them from hearing what we're trying to say but also what we do have to acknowledge 
is that a large majority of people are not following the crucified and resurrected Messiah. Well, they are following a shadow, a veneer that is false, that is not saving. So many are following a form of godliness without the power because it's in fact a whole different God. But because I it's not connected to the creator from the mountain who brought forth his one true son. It's a totally 20th century Western veneer of the truth where there's no saving power in that. It just is a cultural thing, a cultural tradition full of the cultural commandments of men. So there's a lot of problems that we're up against. But I don't have that problem. I don't have that problem with the people I'm talking about. The people I've talked about for 50 years or more are people who have been filled with the Spirit. They have the right Christ, so to speak. They have the right God, and they're simply turned off unnecessarily by the verbiage that we're giving them. I want to give verbiage to the ones who are being led by the Spirit who will actually hear what I have to say and not unnecessarily turn me off. Yeah, well, I, I then, you know, the verbiage is in the Scriptures, right? And um, you can then just communicate the Scripture in the translation that you have. And then once they've apprehended and comprehended what you've, you say, then there's a time to talk about true name. There's a time to start to maybe introduce, you know, how to question some of these poorer translations that are loosey-goosey. But I started off in the New International Version. So, you know, I, hey, we, we, we do not despise those beginnings. I, a baby is nursed on its mother's milk. But, uh, you know, you don't want that baby on your lap nursing when, you know, they're 10 years old, okay? And in all of the people that I've read and I'm reading, and in my ministry for 50 years, has been revival to the saints because we're not where we should be. The church is not where it should be. And that produces salvation for the unchristian. So I understand that difference, but that difference is definitely there, and I want to reach out to the people who, who will hear just like I am. The, I am hearing because the new covenant is the Holy Spirit who has come. He's not only with me, but he's in me. And if the Spirit deals with me, and he deals with some of these people, that what you're saying is true and what we're saying is true, then I don't want to unnecessarily turn them yeah, faith is saving, but that faith produces the works of the Word, which are always connected to the commandments of the Father. The doctrine of the Father is what the Son delivered. I do see what you're saying. Correct, correct. Exactly. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Abba, we thank you for Shabbat. We thank you for you guys out there online who have been watching and subscribing. Remember, you can give us a thumbs up if you like this video, or if you don't like it, you can give us a thumbs down. That's okay. And leave some comments in the description below. And blessings to you all. And remember... The Feast of Tabernacles is fastly approaching, so go to TorahToTheTribes.com and register for that feast today. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah.